statement that I suspect all of us will agree with, but we'll find out maybe. We live in a world that is at battle all the time. And this morning, the direction I want to take us is this idea or concept of the battlefield of the mind. Much of the struggle most of us deal with happens between our ears. Ephesians 6 says our battle is not against flesh and blood. And might it be an okay way to look at this, sometimes as we see on the movies or TV, the little devil on the shoulder just whispers. And often the little devil on the shoulder sounds a whole lot like us. And the whispers, some of them are distracting, some of them are atrocious. James chapter 4 reminds us to resist the devil, he will flee from you. 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us to take every thought captive. And why might those words be in there is because there is a battle raging and our mind is often the primary focus of that. So for our conversation, although it's really not a conversation, you'll get in trouble if you talk back, we're going to look at Psalm 119 this morning, not exhaustively, but verses 9 through 16. And we're not even going to be exhaustive on those verses because we could spend six months unpacking these verses. But if you have your Bible or your device, uh, go ahead and jump to Psalm 119. We're going to do some exploration of each of these verses. So verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? Now, let's do understand at the time scripture was written, it was a very specific way of writing. So when it says young man, it doesn't mean ladies are excluded. That's just how the biblical authors wrote things. So how can a person keep their way pure? Question mark. Does it intrigue us at all that all those years ago, this was a question that was being asked even then is how do we keep our way pure? And pure, okay, pure spring water, pure products, all those kinds of things. But might it be helpful to understand that this question is, God, how do we stay lined up with you? How do we avoid the ditch of life? And maybe you've had this experience because we're all probably susceptible to this, but you lose focus on the road and certainly it wouldn't be because you're texting because none of us text and drive. We judge everybody else that's texting and driving and we would never do it. But if you're distracted, you find yourself headed towards the ditch. And so what if the psalmist had written there, hey God, how do I stay out of the ditch of life? And then there's an answer here by living according to your word. Well, how we live is determined by what we value and what we prioritize. So how might we stay out of the ditch of life is by living according to God's instructions and directions. And God is not the cosmic police officer. Might it be good to hear that again? God is not the cosmic police officer just waiting to catch us messing up. He has given us his word as a map, as un changing truth. And we may touch on truth a couple of times this morning because we live in a culture where you can have your truth and I can have my truth. And how ridiculous is that? Up is up, down is down, God is God. And so by living according to his unchanging word, our lives line up with truth that brings life and relief. Verse 10, I seek you with all my heart, do not let me stray from your commands. 
I seek you. So if you want to go to Galveston, I've seen a few pictures this week of people that on spring break went south. I sort of hate their guts. Not really. I'm glad for them. But if you want to go to Galveston, eventually you got to go south. So when the Word of God says, I seek you, it's a reminder that we're choosing directions moment by moment. And if our mind is the battlefield, then we've got to continue to bring our minds back to truth back to the directions that are God's for us. And then it says, with our whole heart, or all my heart. Well, the heart in the biblical writer's mindset is mind, heart, all of that. So all of our passion, all of our will, all of our enthusiasm focused on seeking God. How big of a challenge is that? Hey, let's all just think about Jesus for 10 seconds. And what would happen is about 3.5 seconds in, we start thinking, I need to fertilize the yard or the dash lights on on the car or whatever all those things might be. But to seek God with all of our hearts, direction, passion, and then the psalmist writes, do not let me stray from your commands. How tough is it to remain focused? I'm not as young as I once might be, and you might go, well, you still look quite young. Thank you. But I've had this experience, as many of you had, if I walk into a room and I go, huh, what am I doing in this room? I recently this week spent about 20 minutes looking for an item that I know is in my house somewhere. It is yet unfound. When will I find it? I have no idea. Now, my wife, who is such an encourager, says, you know it's in the last place you put it. For better or worse, bites you sometimes. <laughs> She's not in this service. <laughs> but do not let me stray from your commands. And the scripture tells us God's commands are not burdensome because they create guidelines to protect us. What's the outcome of sin? Death. So when God says, live according to my word, it's not just don't sin because I want to take something from you, is it's live according to my commands because you'll find life and peace. I know this to be true. I recently have been under the conviction of God trying to di- drive fairly close to the speed limit. <laughs> fairly close. Because I don't want to be the guy that's like 55, 55. That's too much stress. But you know the freedom of driving fairly close to the speed limit is you can pass a law enforcement officer and you can wave. (laughs) Hello, have a great day. But when we stray from God's commands or the speed limit, what happens? Stress and anxiety and your neck gets a crick from looking over it to see if they've turned around to follow you. (laughs) So not straying from God's command gives us peace and the battle is maybe quieter in our minds. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How many things have we hidden in our heart that are utterly meaningless? I'm a driver of a Mini Cooper, and I'm sorry that the rest of you aren't. It is so much fun. It is supercharged, and it has a speedometer that goes way faster than you ought to go legally, and it holds 13.2 gallons of premium gas, which is quite annoying at the current gas prices, and I could go on and on and on about all of those kinds of things, and you don't care unless you have a Mini Cooper or you're coveting it, but if we're sitting talking, we all have so much trivia in our heads. 
Last night, a couple of the techs back there said, hey, did you bring your aglets with you this evening? Now, if you know what aglets are, you're like, I know what that is. It's the little plastic thing at the end of your shoestring. And when is that information helpful? Never. It is never helpful unless you're playing Jeopardy or some trivia game of some sort. But we have hidden so much of that here that it makes it challenging at times to hide God's word here. I don't don't know how many times I've had people tell me, you know, I have a hard time memorizing scripture, but I don't have a hard time memorizing that a Mini Cooper holds 13.2 gallons. Why is that one easier and scripture isn't? Well, partly because there's spiritual warfare against hiding God's word in our heart, and the enemy doesn't care if I know the details about Mini Coopers or whatever your thing might be. So I've hidden your word in my heart, which means I pursue it, I value it, and God's word is truth, that I might not sin against you. Again, not to embarrass God, that's not the goal, not to avoid offending him, but so that we don't have that toxic in our lives. Because what does sin do? It kills us. It kills our conscience, it kills our reason, it sucks the joy out of our lives. So when the psalmist writes, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, the implicit message there is so that I'll know peace. I can drive past the state trooper and just wave. So much freedom. Now I am going to be driving to Montana in a few weeks for a family wedding. You just pray for me. Because big sky country, the speed limit for real in my experience means nothing up there. And when you have an air-conditioned, supercharged go-kart, you want to go fast. (laughs) But if I'm hiding God's word in my heart, I'm obeying the speed limit, not because of the consequences, but because it brings peace. That will be a fight in a couple weeks, I promise you. Verse 12, praise be to you, Lord, teach me your decrees. I'm not a sports guy. It's a standard joke in our staff that, hey, Rick, did you DVR the latest game? Yeah, and I will never watch it. And you're judging me, and that's okay, some of you. And some of you are like, oh, I'm not the only one. I really don't care about the final four, all those kinds of things. I I was a fat, nerdy kid, and that wasn't important in our family, and I'm still nerdy, a little less fat, okay? But this teach me or, or praise be to you, Lord, is we worship all kinds of things. I can worship the deer stand, which I find to be a very calming place. And some of you are like, that sounds like a trip to the dentist. That's okay. You don't have to love that. But it needs to be rightly ordered that I would praise God like five million times more than I would praise any other experience in my life. Because God is eternal and all of those experiences are going to fade away. Praise be to you, Lord, teach me your decrees. Do we have any educators in the room? Be bold. We need to pray for these folks. Oh, my gosh. The last few years have been brutal in the education world. Would most of you agree? Well, if we were just sitting amongst a bunch of of educators, which I would put myself in that category, who are the best learners? Humble learners. Eager learners learners, hungry. So when the scripture tells us, 
teach me your decrees, it's a very powerful reminder that we have to be humble. Because if you know everything, can anyone teach you? No. Teach me your decrees, and might it be helpful to understand that God's decrees bring us back to truth again and again and again. And when we're centered in truth, what happens? We have more peace. We have more life. We're freer. And Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. Verse 13, with my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. When we repeat something, what happens? It becomes more familiar, more comfortable with us. Let's do an experiment this morning. Put your hands together. Now take whatever thumbs on top, if it's right or left, really doesn't matter. There's no psychological study on this, but take them apart and put them the opposite way. Now, some of you go, ooh, that feels weird and uncomfortable. I do this about 100 times a day. It's one of the tools I use in the counseling office. But if we all did it 100 times a day, what would happen? We'd look silly, but we would get more comfortable. My right thumb is always going to be on top. It's probably my brain wiring. I do that without thinking, but I don't cringe if I do the left. So what does that have to do with this? With my lips, I recount. The more I repeat something, the more it reinforces it, the more headspace it gains. We've probably all seen a brain outside of the skull, hopefully not our own, and all those little curves are neural pathways. Got to throw a little neuroscience in here. When with our lips, we recount truth again and again and again, it creates neural pathways. And the more we reinforce them, the more rooted they are in our brains and the more accessible they are. The opposite of this is take high school Spanish and if you didn't continue to reinforce that, you know hola and baño and taco and burrito and maybe a couple of other words because you didn't reinforce that neural pathway. Well, when the scripture says, with my lips I recount, it tells us that we need to rehearse that and generally our passions leak out of our mouth. Sam is sitting up here up front where I can actually see him. Sam is quite passionate about soccer and God bless you, I don't care. It's not that I don't care about Sam, I love Sam, but I don't have any care for soccer. And we won't do a show of hands because that might be hard for Sam. Some of you care about it, some of you don't, but when we're passionate about something, where does it show up? In our mouths and on our social media posts. With our lips, we recount, and then here's the qualifier, all the laws that come from God's mouth. And might we be very purposeful and cautious to acknowledge here it says all? I think one of the dangers in the modern church is we like a salad bar approach to Christianity. I like that, I don't like that, this is comfortable, oh, that's uncomfortable. All the laws that come from God's mouth, even the ones that poke us in the eye, and some of them will. Verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I rejoice in following your statutes. What, what if instead of statutes there, we said, God, I rejoice in your owner's manual being something I devour and it informs how I live. Now, 
we probably, most of us have an owner's manual in our car. When do we get it out? Now, there's a few of you that go, oh, the moment I buy the car, I get it out and I read it from front to back. That makes no sense to me. I get the owner's manual out when I can't figure out how to set that stupid clock twice a year. <laughs> and newer vehicles won't allow you to do it while you're driving. When are you thinking about it when you're driving? <sighs> we are not that different. <laughs> I rejoice in following your guidelines, your principles, your directives, God, and rejoice is it's not a burden. Thank you, God, that when I line up with you, I am less vulnerable to wounds. I'm less risk-averse. I don't want all those things in my heart defined by Christ. But what does my flesh want? My flesh wants me in the ditch all the time. That's where the enemy wants me. So rejoicing in following God's statutes that aren't burdensome. And then it says, as one rejoices in great riches... So the dramatic shift that happens is I'm not whatever it is. I, I, I don't go to, I don't drink and smoke and chew and go with girls who do because I don't want God to be mad at me. No, but because when I line up with his truth, I'm relieved. Now that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. And if you go back to the original Greek in there, it still means trouble. You will have trouble. It's not going to be unicorns and rainbows. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult, kind of like being married for better or worse. My wife is not in this service, and if you tell her, I will kill you. <laughs> she recently had her hip re-replaced for the second time, and she has been dependent upon her nurse. I suck at nursing. The first two weeks, I am spectacular, and I must have about a two-week battery, and we're mostly past all of that, but because it was her left hip, she still can't bend it enough, and she has to have help putting on her left sock, and she is a sock diva. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about, and so you got to pull the sock up just the right way and just the right, I think it's barometric pressure, and then you got to readjust it when it gets in the car. So what does that have to do with rejoicing? Is if I'm rejoicing in God's great riches is serving my wife is a gift from God that I am not yet good at. Now I know some of you will break the rules and go tell her. She's not gonna be surprised that socks annoy me. But really in the grand scheme of things, is that that big of a deal? Absolutely not. And if I'm rejoicing in the rich opportunity, and we have all of our own inside crazy jokes, some of you do as well, should go, hey, do you wanna? No, I don't wanna. I'm never gonna wanna in my flesh. But the more the battle is won here by God, the more my wanna changes. Now, I'm never gonna go, hey, babe, can I adjust your sock? No. And a couple of times, inadvertently in adjusting the sock, I pinched her. It was incidental most of the time. So rejoice and see this as richness. Verse 15, we do need to get out of here before lunch. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. We hear court cases all the time about copyright infringement and trademark and all that kind of stuff. God ought to take the Eastern mystics to court to get his word back. 
because we hear all the time, we should practice meditation. What in the world does that mean? Eastern meditation is the emptying of self, pursuing nirvana or nothingness or whatever that is. Would you like to know what the actual research tells us about that? Because I love data and I try not to make it up on the spot most of the time. But what the research tells us, practitioners of Eastern meditation with greater than 10,000 hours invested in that have a damaged connection between their right hemisphere and their left hemisphere, resulting in a reduced ability to perceive reality. That sounds like a great outcome, doesn't it? Meditate, and then you don't perceive reality very well. But when God's word says meditate, it's to meditate on the truths and the power and the presence of God in such a way that it fills us. And one author says, instead of meditate, what if we said marinate? Because marinating enriches the flavor of our foods, assuming we don't leave them too long and then it's not good. I meditate on your precepts, God, your truths, and I consider your ways, I continue to explore and seek to understand. And then verse 16, I delight in your decrees. I delight. I mean, there's a, wow, God, thank you for what you're saying, and I will not neglect your word. Do you know how many times the average piece of exercise equipment is used according to consumer reports in our home gyms? Seven. That's why you can buy a treadmill at a garage sale for $50 that someone paid a lot of money for. Now, some of you are going, I'm way past seven. Hallelujah. Some of us practice that because we don't neglect it because we want the results. The actual discipline may or may not be that engaging, but the results are. So when it says, I will not neglect your word, is because the results of that is then we don't drift as readily away from God's word. And when the enemy whispers a lie in our head and we've not neglected his word, much like Jesus was able to do when tempted, is he just quoted scripture. The more we put God's word in our hearts and minds, the more it will be available to us. So let me bottom line this for you. Bottom line, I think we all mostly agree there is a battle and this is the primary place where it's being waged. A big percentage of the folks that come to the canceling office where I'm at are followers of Christ. And by and large, they're not sitting down on my couch going, you know, about every day this week I've wanted to rob a bank. I don't hear that one very often. Generally, it's not somebody going, hey, I think I'm going to use heroin. That's what I'm really struggling with. That does occasionally happen. But the biggest thing that lots of us, us, all of us, are battling is here. Would you like to know the data on that? The average person has 90 minutes a day of what they would label intrusive thoughts. Congratulations, that makes all of us normal. But when we turn those thoughts into God's truth, we just bring them under his lordship, those thoughts don't hold us captive. And we're not as depraved as we might actually feel. Secondly, if there's a battle, we need to be equipped and build that arsenal. And might it be some of the primary weapons in that are the word of God and prayer and allies of faith. 
so that if you were actually thinking, you know, I am going to rob the bank, there's someone that you could call and go, would you please talk me off the ledge? And if need be, they would come and maybe be physically present with you. And then lastly, we need to use all those weapons in such a way they become quite familiar in our hands, and then we're quicker to use them when the battle rages. And the very pragmatic way that works in my head currently is when a lie comes in, I will do this as long as I don't look schizophrenic. Under my breath, Jesus, I reject, let's say it's anger. Jesus, I reject anger. Would you fill me with hope and peace? Would you remind me of how deeply I'm loved by you? And you know what happens to anger a lot of the time? It just goes away. That doesn't mean it won't come back 10 seconds later or 10 minutes or 10 hours or 10 days because we are in a world at war and this is where the enemy is attacking. But the more we lean into truth, the more we rehearse it, the more we proclaim it, just like Jesus did, the more victory and freedom that we will have. Now, I think it's important as a qualifier, we don't have access to all of God's resources unless we're God's. So if you're sitting in this room this morning or sitting on your couch at home watching and you go, I feel like I'm getting defeated all the time, maybe it's an important question to ask, have I actually invited Jesus in? Have I repented of my sin and am I seeking to be obedient to Christ? And if you haven't, there's some folks at both these decision points that they don't have all the answers, but they'd be glad to help you walk through that. And it might be that you're sitting there going, no, I'm 100% confident I'm saved, but I just want more victory. Get in the Word of God. Find those books that are going to encourage you and build that skill set to the point where there's more and more victory and the enemy gets defeated more and more often. And we can rejoice as if it were great riches. Whatever your decision is, I dare you to make it as we stand and as we sing.